like to welcome everybody to today's presentation on enhancing mental health to prevent relapse. This is part of Mental Wellness Month. We're going to identify activities that can be used to teach skills needed for mental health enhancement. We will define relapse and explore why mental health is enha enhancement is important in relapse prevention. Um, and we will identify strategies necessary from an integrative behavioral health perspective. Too often, people try to uh, focus on just one area or another, either cognitive or behavioral or physical. You know, they're looking for medication. And in reality, we really need to address all of those things. I'm going to start out by giving you some examples of activities that I've used with my groups to give you some creative ways or gamification ways in some, in some cases that you may be able to pre present um, psychoeducational material that is, you know, in general can be kind of, shall I say dull? Yeah. I mean, it, it can be dull if you're just sitting there lecturing at people. So the beach ball is one that I like, and you can get those beach balls really cheap at any dollar store. And it's just the, you know, 50 cent blow up beach balls that have five or six colors on them. Each color is a different PACER dimension. Remember, PACER stands for physical, affective, cognitive, environmental, and relational. What you can do is on each um, slice, if you will, of the beach ball, on each color, you identify a dimension. So maybe red is physical. And you can say, tell me one thing you can do in this area to improve your recovery. So you toss that ball around in your group and people catch it. And whatever color is facing up when they catch it, they have to answer that question based on that dimension. So if they catch it and they look down and it's red, that's the physical dimension. They need to identify one thing they can do in the physical area of recovery and mental health improvement uh, to improve their recovery. You can also ask the question. You can There are all kinds of questions you can ask. Uh, another question you could ask is, tell me one thing in this area that you struggled with this week and what you did to um, address it. Uh, clearly, I typed in the wrong window here, but <laughs> um, those are things that you can ask. You can just ask questions based on the pacer dimensions. You can also, you know, going to a different activity, use multicolored note cards that correspond with either multicolored Jenga blocks or twister dots. And again, each color represents a different dimension of integrative behavioral health. Physical is could be green, yellow could be affective or cognitive, blue is environmental, and red is relational. So with those multicolored note cards, um, if you're doing Jenga, they will be looking at the tower and they'll decide which block they want to pull out. But before they can pull that block out, they need to answer a question corresponding to that block color. So you can do this if you're teaching psychoed about, you know, physical health and nutrition. So they're very basic questions like, um, what is a protein? Uh, or you can do things that are, have other questions that are more similar to the ones on the beach ball, whatever you want to do, like physical, you can say, what is the HPA axis? 
yellow. You could say identify and address the cognitive distortion and then give them a sentence that um, exemplifies a cognitive distortion. Uh, blue, you can ask about what is one thing that you could do to enhance your environment. You know, you can be pretty creative with this. Now with Jenga, you can take your time and you can have more in-depth questions because people are pulling blocks and it's kind of a cognitive um, spatial Thing as well as a, you know, health thing. If you're doing twister, you may have people that are in all kinds of crazy contorted positions and standing upside down. So you want to make the questions easy to answer or really short answers. You don't want to have to have people go in depth. But with twister, um, I generally don't do a hand, right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot. I just say, tell me what's body part, you're going to move, you want to move to what color. And if they say, I want to move my hand to green, then they will get a, well, a question from the green stack of cards. Uh, so that can be fun, especially if you are doing psychoed with kids. Not everybody likes Twister because obviously there is no personal space there, but some people actually do enjoy it. This can be also be something that you do if you are really, you know, gung-ho and you want to do it with your family or you can create a set of cards and you can teach families how to do it and then you can give them uh, the cards to take home and then they can do these activities as a family. Another game that most people know is Taboo and you use the same rules that you use in Taboo, but you make your own uh, Taboo cards just Use index cards, put the word on there, the words um, and on, on one side, and then the words that you're not allowed to say. And you can do something like the taboo word could be mindfulness. And so the hint giver has to try to get their partner to identify mindful. HPA axis, proteins, water, sleep, adenosine, awe, forgiveness. There's lots of words that we talk about that are important for people to know. And having them try to get their partner to guess it means they really have to dig into their cognitive database to describe it. And if they're able to do that, that means they have a a full and well-rounded knowledge and comprehension of that particular word or concept. So this can be really good at assessing mastery. You can also do something that's really sim simple. Use package tags. Um, you can get them at offline or wherever that you would use to mark a package um, and the little ones that dangle, uh, for example, and crayons or markers to decorate them and either a branch or a decorated box. Not everybody likes making the gratitude tree using the branch. And I actually, I think that's on the next page. Oh, where did it go? Anyhow, um, but you can also use a decorated box and on each package tag or index card, however you wanna do it, um, have them identify something that they are grateful for. And they can either hang it on the branch to make a gratitude tree or each one of those things they can put in their gratitude box. So they can go through that box periodically and remind themselves of things that they're grateful for and encourage them to add something to that gratitude box every single day. You can also use a decorated box or jar for shelving things that we cannot control. One of the um, concepts that we talk about a lot is to address the things that we can, have the courage 
to change the things we can, um, but also the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. And some things like waiting on test results from a doctor or waiting to, uh, you've got to go for a job interview, you're waiting to hear back from that. There are a lot of things that we can't control and we may have to wait on or be patient for. And when people have done all that they can do to address the issue, sometimes it's helpful for them to write it down and either put it on a, in a, in a box or in a jar that literally is on a shelf. And that is symbolic of shelving that anxiety and saying, I am not going to focus on this right now. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist anymore, but I am going to put it on a shelf so I can focus my attention on something else. You can also create family feud poster boards. And for each question, you'll need a different poster board. So the first time you do this, you know, poster boards are like 50 cents a piece or something. You Sometimes you can find them for 25 cents. First time you do it, it's going to cost a little bit of money. However, um, you can reuse those boards over and over and over again with groups henceforth and forevermore. So it's a short term or it, it's a upfront investment for a long term activity. On each board, you're going to have a different question and you may say, you know, you can just make it up and say a hundred people were surveyed. What are the top 10 ways to improve sleep? Okay. So that could be one board and you will have those listed on that board and covered up with construction paper. That's what I use. Uh, and then you can uncover those as, as you go through. If you get really, yeah, if you're really artistic, you can put, cut holes in the poster board and have the, the, the answers, whatever I'm looking for, slide in and slide out. That starts taking a lot of effort. You know, let's talk about being realistic. But there are a lot of ways that you can improve upon it by just, instead of just doing poster board covered with uh, construction paper. But this is another way that you can go through some of the basic psychoeducational stuff that we're going to talk about and make it fun. Have your groups, you know, kind of work against each other, gamify it. Again, this is something that you can do with in your family. If you are the type of person who wants to teach something about health literacy in your family, you know, another one of those questions, I've got them up here. What are 10 ways you can manage pain without taking medication? Uh, what are 10 things you can do to improve nutrition? There are a lot of options out there. Another thing you can do either as a family or if you are an IOP, because this typically, this does take some time. And IOP stands for intensive outpatient um, or even residential, long-term residential. But you can plant a garden wherever your meditation area is at your facility. And I call it a meditation area. Some people call it a smoking patio. Um, hopefully we're getting to non-smoking facilities, but I digress. Um, find a place that you want to beautify and plant a garden. Each client plants a plant that represents their recovery. Each day the clients show up or once a week, you know, maybe every Friday when you're doing your weekly review, uh, clients start the session watering and weeding their plant and discuss what they did that week to water and weed their recovery or their goal of recovery. So it is symbolic. And as that plant starts to flourish, you know, hopefully you'll see a corresponding flourishing in their recovery. You can use construction paper 
for chain links. I don't know if you remember, you know, when I was a kid for the holidays, we would make these construction paper chains out of little strips of construction paper. You can also use the construction paper to make brick pavers to make a path or flowers to make a construction paper garden on a wall of your therapy room or whatever room you're going to do it in. Regardless of what kind of design you choose to make, each chain link or paver or flower can represent something positive the person did for their recovery. It can represent a positive tool that they're finding helpful. It can represent something they're grateful for. There's a lot of different ways you can use this, but you want to use the symbolism of chains linking together and building upon something or brick pavers that are, again, working together to provide you something to walk on to continue to move forward. And flowers, obviously, just like the planting a garden, are something that is living, something that is beautiful, something that is improving the um, your, per your little personal aspect of the world. So use the symbolism. Envelopes. Strips of paper and pens can also be used for my favorite self-esteem activity. This is a great one to do if you've got a family or you, obviously I do it a lot in groups. Each person has an envelope with their name on it. Each person has a strip of paper for every other person in the group and themselves. So if you have 10 people in group, then every person is going to start out the session with one envelope and 10 strips of paper. And they are to write something that they like um, or they're grateful for in another person. So, you know, I would write something for my own envelope. I'd write something on the envelope that I like about myself. And then I'll write something on another strip that I like about Sally. And then I'll write something on another strip about what I like about Sam. And I do that for every single person in the group. And I put my strips in their envelopes. So by the end of the activity, every single person has an envelope that's filled with um, things that, uh, statements about what pe other people like about them. Because sometimes it's hard to be your own advocate. Sometimes people feel self-conscious about doing that. So I really like this for uh, self-esteem. I've also done it for recovery progress, where each person notes on a strip of paper something that they have seen, a positive step that they have seen in their group mates in the recovery process. You're only limited by your own creativity in different ways that you can use this. You can also use paper for mindfulness fortune tellers. These are those finger fortune tellers that we did as, you know, in elementary school. But they can be fun where you do the little, um, you know, whatever you do with your fingers with those things. And then when you finally open it up, it asks you a question that makes you reflect on yourself. You know, one is going to be physical. One is going to be affective. And it can, I try to encourage people to focus on the positive. What is one thing that you showed courage with today? What is one thing that made you happy today? Um, or you can just do the, the benign and say, how are you feeling physically on under one of the tabs? How are you feeling emotionally under another tab? What is your attitude like under 
another tab. So you can be, um, again, creative with this, but it is, this is fun for younger people to do, to remind them to do mindfulness activities. Um, I'm sure there are other ways you can use it. This is, mindfulness is really the only way I've ever used the fortune tellers, but you know, it can be something that is helpful. So we've talked about a bunch of different ways to try to gamify some of this stuff because a lot of what we're talking about today is our prevention activities, our early intervention activities to enhance mental health. Why? How does that relate to relapse? Well, relapse is return to a prior state of being, whether that is clinical depression or generalized anxiety or grief or um, symptomatic PTSD, whatever it is. We want to help people keep moving forward and not relapse to that prior symptomatic state. Oftentimes, we return to old habits, old people, places, things, behaviors, uh, which can make us vulnerable to relapse. When we're not being mindful, when we're not paying attention to actually proactively doing the hard work and, you know, recovery, whatever you're recovering from, and life itself is hard work. And it's important to encourage people to remind them to be mindful and to take active steps. It's not just about eliminating the drinking. It's not just about eliminating the depression. It's also about creating this life, this happiness, this um, recovery that you want, this this um, rich and meaningful life, as we've called it before. Uh, when people experience physical or emotional distress in addiction, one of the acronyms we use is hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Um, but when we experience distress, sometimes our automatic, our autopilot reaction is to go back and do the things that we used to do in order to deal with that. And I'm not going to use the word cope. I'm going to say deal, which sometimes is okay. But other times it's those behaviors that we were doing that were, were contributing to the development of distress and symptomatology. Other times that we start returning to old people, places, things, behaviors, and this is more particular to addiction, is when we're not experiencing happiness, when we don't feel happy. Sometimes we crave that dopamine rush and that sets people up for to be at risk for relapse. So mental health promotion encourages the you know, secretion, if you will, of serotonin, of norepinephrine, of dopamine, uh, of oxytocin, of all of those chemicals that help us feel happy and want to make us keep wanting to do what we're doing. So let's talk really quick about the interaction. Now you may recognize the triad of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. That's the cognitive behavioral therapy triad. When we talk about integrative behavioral health, we add health in there. So it's a quadrad, that's a word, um, instead of a triad, because our health does impact all of these other things. When you have, and I should have put an arrow there too, when you are sick, Let's start with the negative. When you're sick, how does it affect your mood? When you're sick, how does it affect your thoughts, your cognition, your um, ability to learn? When you're, your attitude, when you're sick, how does, how does it affect your behaviors? How do your behaviors change when you don't feel well? Um, 
And then likewise, when you're healthy, when you've got good energy, you're relatively pain-free, how does that affect your affect, your thoughts, and your behavior? And recognizing that you can do this no matter where you start in the quadrat, every single one of these things impacts every single other one of these things. If it's a good change, it'll affect every other aspect positively in general. If it's a negative change, it will likely cause distress in each one of the other areas. Uh, So we want to recognize that our thoughts, for example, can either trigger or downregulate our HPA axis, which impacts our physiology. When we are relaxed, when we're having positive thoughts, when we are having thoughts of contentment and empowerment and safety, then guess what? Our physiology is going to change. We are going to have less cortisol. We're going to have less norepinephrine, less acetylcholine, more serotonin, um, and our gonadal hormones are going to be more balanced. Our thyroid hormones are going to be able to work better. So by decreasing stress, cognitive stress, we're actually enhancing physiology. As cortisol goes down, our immune system also goes up. So it's a beautiful scenario. Affectively, you know, looking at the the quadrat here, you know, our thoughts are going to affect our mood. And when we're in a bad mood, it's going to affect other things. You know, if you're in a bad mood, you may have low energy. It may trigger that HPA axis to go up, which is going to impair your immunity and impair your pain perception or cause an increase in the perception of pain. Um, Cognitions and behaviors also change accordingly. When we are, let's stay with the positive here because we're talking about mental health promotion. When we are healthy, when we are relatively pain-free, when we are energetic, when we are happy, content, and cognitively flexible. Um, It generally has a positive impact on our environment. It creates positive energy in our environment. It helps us have the energy to keep our environment clean. Uh, There are a lot of benefits and it generally benefits our relationships because we do have more energy, more patience, more tolerance, yada, yada, all that stuff. So what can we do here? Well, let's start out with physical. And I have on the YouTube channel, videos on just about every one of these things individually. So we're not going to go into them in depth. That also would take like hours. So obviously you don't want to be with me until eight o'clock tonight. So if you want more information about how to teach these concepts to clients, see those videos because they can give you a great place to start. But basically I want you to think about visit when we help clients enhance their health literacy, when, when we help them start engaging in behaviors to take care of their physical selves? How does that enhance mental health and prevent relapse? Physically, when people get enough sleep, they are uh, more cognitively flexible. They're able to make decisions more effectively. Their body is healthier. Their HPA axis down-regulates when they are not sleep-deprived. So all these things can be very helpful. Remember in addiction, Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Tired is that fourth one that is a key relapse trap for people struggling with addictions. It's a key relapse trap for people struggling with any mental or physical health issue in reality because sleep impacts or sleep deprivation 
impacts every area of our body so much. Nutrition is important because it gives our body the building blocks it needs to make the uh, neurotransmitters, to make the hormones, to make the tissues that are needed to repair any damage that's been done. You know, we do, we turn over our skin cells every day. Our body's got to make new skin cells in order to replenish. Um, so, so it is important to recognize that nutrition is important. When our body is malnourished, it will impair the body's ability to repair itself, to stay healthy, and to manage our mood. We do need to make sure we've got good nutrition for gut health, as well as to provide the building blocks for recovery. Our circadian rhythms, interestingly enough, are involved in just about every single bodily system we have. Um, and I just did a video on circadian rhythms in my live morning show uh, a couple of days ago. And I actually learned a few things about, you know, what circadian rhythms control. Did you know circadian rhythms actually impact and actually probably make sense? Circadian rhythms actually impact gonadal hormone release. I hadn't ever really thought about it. But then I started thinking about it and I'm like, well, that's why women have a monthly cycle. You know, our circadian rhythms actually help with that. When your circadian rhythms get out of whack, that can get out of whack. But it also impacts testosterone levels, progesterone levels, you know, all kinds of things, not just estrogen. Um, circadian rhythms also impact our hunger and satiation hormones. It impacts our quality of sleep. It impacts our immunity. So many things. So it's important to help clients understand that circadian rhythms are a, more than about just sleep. It's about regulating your entire body clock. Um, and, and exploring ways to enhance circadian rhythms can be very helpful. Medication. We want to encourage people to be aware of the medications they're taking. Some of them they may have to take, you know, no, no doubt. But if they're having side effects, they need to be aware of what they can do to manage those side effects in order to be as physically healthy and energetic as possible. One of the common medications that uh, people that I've worked with, well, two that people I work with struggle with are your atypical antipsychotics, especially the ones, well, for anybody, um, they can tend, they tend to make people really drowsy. And for some people, they're actually prescribed to help them sleep. But if they take it at bedtime, it's still not out of their system soon enough when they wake up in the morning and they feel groggy and have difficulty getting out of bed. Uh, sometimes psychiatrists, doctors will suggest, uh, taking that medication earlier in the day, say before dinner, um, so it has more time to clear their system before they have to get up and be ready for work in the morning. Something they need to talk, talk about with their doctor in order to manage any side effects and have the highest quality of life possible. People are going to have difficulty maintaining a recovery program if they're not feeling good. You know, yeah, I may not be depressed anymore. Yeah, I may not be struggling with, you know, crippling anxiety anymore, but I have no energy. I can't, you know, my life is flat. It's just, I, I, I am not, I'm still not happy. And so it's important that we help people recognize that and figure out, you know, what they can do to advocate for themselves. Obviously, we're not prescribers, so they need to talk with their prescribing physician. But a lot of times there are ways to mitigate what a lot of doctors may refer to as unacceptable side effects. 
We also want to encourage people to minimize alcohol, nicotine, and caffeine. All three of these are hard on the body. All three of these activate and sometimes hyperactivate the HPA axis. All of these impair sleep um, if they are in the body when somebody is trying to get to sleep. Um, So these drugs, while I know that a lot of us use at least one of them, um, being prudent, understanding how long they stay in the body and what we need to do to minimize the negative impact is really important. Pain management, we need to help people figure out and learn ways besides just popping a pill that may help them manage pain, especially as we get older and even younger people who may be really athletic, you know, or maybe not. There's, there's lots of reasons why people may have pain, but it's, there are a lot of things that we can do to prevent or mitigate pain. For example, stretching, good posture, good ergonomics, all of those things are super helpful for pain management. The, you can buy the shiatsu pads that can, you can use to manage, uh, to, to massage your back or, or your, um, well, I think generally they're for your back. I think there are some for your neck and for your feet. Um, there are heat and cold pads that can be helpful. They actually have, which is really wonderful now, a weighted heat pad out. And that pressure um, from the weighted heating pad helps the heat penetrate into wherever you're trying to heat. So that can be really um, advantageous. If people can't afford a heated a weighted heating pad. Another thing, especially for the neck or for small areas, you can take an old sock or if you have an old pair of tights or stockings and fill it with just regular old rice. And you can heat the rice in the microwave. Usually like a minute and a half is more than enough. The smaller the sock, the less time you're going to need. But that adds a lot of weight. And I have one of those that I use and I drape around my neck and it can be very relaxing. We also need to help people recognize the importance of relaxation. And Covey talks about this as sharpening the saw in the seven habits of highly effective people. But it is important as one of the seven habits for mental health. We need to have downtime. It is so incredibly vital to recharge yourself. Just like your phone doesn't work if you don't recharge the battery every single freaking day, we are going to, you know, run out of charge if we don't recharge ourselves. And then just like the phone is useless when, or relatively useless when it is completely out of charge, we are not able to be as effective as we want to be uh, when we are run down. And when we get completely out of charge, then obviously we are in a, in a state of crisis and having difficulty even getting out of bed. So obviously that's going to prevent us from having the life we want. Relaxation is important. It is not a luxury. It is not gluttonous. It is giving your body time to rest and recharge. Affectively, we want to help people improve their happiness, not just eliminate the depression, not just eliminate the anxiety, not just stop using whatever we're treating them for. They need, as they take the unpleasant things out of their box of life, 
out of their Pandora's box. We want them to add in pleasant things. We don't want them to end up with an empty box. Have them start developing happiness habits. You know, just like any other habit, it takes time to develop. So encourage people to develop a new happiness habit, for example, every single month. By the end of the year, they'll have 12 happiness habits that they do with regularity. Awe and wonder is something else that we rarely talk about, and it is so powerful. Uh, Dr. Keltner, a psychologist at UC Berkeley, has shown that experiences of awe lead to greater humility, curiosity, innovation, happiness, and a desire to contribute to the world. We often don't pay attention to things. We are so busy being operating mindlessly that we don't pay attention to the wondrous things that are around us and really experience that awe like through the eyes of a child, seeing it for the first time. And I've shared with y'all before, I think, um, I do a lot of gardening and plants. It doesn't matter whether it's a, a zucchini or a mustard or, gosh, oregano. Oregano seeds are all but microscopic. I, I have glasses, so a lot of things look all but microscopic. And an oregano plant can grow into this huge thing from this little tiny speck of something. And when I sit there and I think about it, it is mesmerizing to me. It, pr- it creates a sense of awe. It really kind of puts me in my place. Rainbows, you know, I love rainbows, create a sense of awe and wonder. I mean, I'm 50 years old and I still run outside every time there's a rainbow. And if there's a double rainbow, I bring my camera. Finding things that enhance awe in your life, having these experiences at least weekly, if not daily, can really help enhance mental health. In two other studies, a typical awe experience was associated not only with awe, but also with an increase in compassion, gratitude, love, optimism, and connectedness and self-relevant thoughts. So there's a lot of positive stuff that can come out of this. So why in the world don't we do it? Because we're too caught up in our day-to-day life. You know, awe and wonder really seems to go away once we reach the age of about 10 or something, we want, we're too focused on paying bills and this and that and what TV show we're watching tonight and what we're going to make for dinner. Take some time out, have an awe experience. And that may be different for every person. And you, sometimes you don't even need to go anywhere to do it. You can go online if it's not the same. Seeing the Grand Canyon from Google Earth is not the same as being there. But beggars can't be choosers sometimes. You know, if you can't travel to the Grand Canyon this evening, you, know, you can find things, videos online. There are a lot of really well uh, done, professionally published videos about the universe and about nature that can inspire a sense of awe and wonder. If you're having difficulty with it, just follow a five-year-old around for a while and kind of experience the world through their eyes because they're seeing it for the first time. So they're not taking it for granted. Another thing that we can encourage people to do is develop that attitude of gratitude. And we talked in the activities section about creating a gratitude box or a gratitude scrapbook, or here is my gratitude tree over here in the corner. Um, Whatever it is that you want to do, you can do it for yourself or you can do it as a family. The gratitude tree, every person, for example, in the family may have a different colored uh, package tag 
that they use to add to the gratitude tree. So they recognize the things that they've added and they recognize things that their, their family and friends have added. You can also do this in, in a therapy group, you know, have people add to the gratitude tree every, every session, whatever. Loving kindness and compassion is another activity that people can do in order to enhance their sense of peace and their sense of contentment because it practicing it challenges you. I'm not going to say forces. It challenges you to extend love and compassion instead of hate and resentment. It can be very in-depth. If you go online there and look at images, there are a lot of really long scripts for the loving kindness meditation, or it can be very short and to the point. May I be happy, healthy, and at ease. I used to, when we would go to the, gro the grocery store or Target or wherever when my kids were little, my son was four when my daughter was born. So when she was two, he was six, and they were both at that very curious age. And I can remember going through the store, repeating to myself, sometimes a dozen or more times, God grant me patience, you know, <laughs> and whatever it is that you say to yourself that helps you feel more at peace can be very inspiring. But the loving kindness meditation is also awesome because you can extend it to other people before you go visit a challenging, before you go talk to a subordinate about something that they're doing wrong, before you sit down and have a quote unquote discussion with somebody in your family, thinking to yourself, may I be happy, healthy, and at ease. May you be happy, healthy, and at ease. Some people will even take it a step further if they add this to their morning meditation and they say to themselves, may I be happy, healthy, and at ease. And they meditate on that for a moment and try to feel those feelings embracing their body. But then they send that out to the universe and they say, may everyone I encounter today be happy, healthy, and at ease and really meditate on sending that positive energy out. If you approach people with the attitude, with the intention, with the hope that they are happy, healthy, and at ease, your nonverbals and your interactions are likely going to be much different than if you approached them with a different attitude. So increasing happiness, adding things to that box, that Pandora's box uh, is going to be helpful. You want to add in the positive. So Pandora's box isn't completely empty once you take out the distress. Cognitively, Mindfulness is so important. Mindlessness and unawareness of our risks, thoughts, wants, and needs often set up a situation where we start reacting on autopilot. We go back into old ways of acting and behaving, which were often the things that contributed to or maintained our unhappiness. We go back there because that's habit. And so mindfulness encourages us to be aware in the moment of our, the risks to our recovery, you know, the risks of relapse, looking around what might be contributing to, uh, what might contribute to a relapse in this environment. So what are my risks? And also in this moment, what are my thoughts, wants, and needs? And then being able to act on those as needed. Then we talk about other thinking errors, denial, denial, Minimization and rationalization are three of the most common uh, cognitive errors we see in people in early recovery from addiction, sometimes from a lot of other things. But 
it's important to recognize that these cognitive errors can contribute to a sense of helplessness, hopelessness, and unsafeness, um, or can contribute to us ignoring a problem, kind of like ignoring a cut on your arm and not doing anything about it, can get infected, you can become septic, it can get really bad. So it's important to address denial to address what you can and cannot control. And next to each of these, I have little key codes just uh, to prompt you. But when we're looking at denial of the problem, to address that, we find the facts. What are the facts about this issue that indicate whether it either is or is not a problem? Minimization can also be addressed with facts. A lot of times, um, People may get caught in the trap of minimizing the importance of recovery behaviors, minimizing the importance of getting adequate sleep, of going to support group meetings, of journaling, of whatever you're asking them to do or they've chosen to do. And it's important that we look at the fact, you know, in what ways is this behavior important? And, you know, what are the facts supporting that it's not important? And hopefully the outcome will... Um, show that that behavior is important, but it's important to weigh the facts. We also, when working with people, often find that they minimize their own accomplishments and positive qualities, which can impair their self-esteem, can make them feel, again, helpless, hopeless, safe, um, at risk of rejection and abandonment. You know, when people's self-esteem starts to go down, it can be a problem. Helping them look at the facts, again, about what have you accomplished and what are your positive qualities um, and taking it very objectively. You know, if you had this situation, if somebody you liked, a friend of yours had this accomplishment, would you minimize it? And if not, then why are you minimizing it when you do it? Um, and the same thing with positive qualities. One activity I do for self-esteem with my clients is I have them describe to me the qualities they look for in a best friend. And then we go through that list and I say, okay, now tell me which of those qualities you actually have yourself. And that helps them without having to feel like they're boasting. Um, that helps them look and recognize that they do have a lot of positive qualities. Selective abstraction and rationalization, only seeing part of what's going on. Go back to the facts again. If somebody says that, you know, they can, they don't have a problem, it's not risky to engage in this behavior or only focusing on one aspect of the problem. You want to have them look at the facts of the situation. Extreme language all or nothing. Um, generally, there are exceptions to most things. Notice I didn't say everything. Um, encouraging people to look at the facts supporting their belief that, for example, I never succeed at anything I do. Well, let's look at the facts there. Is that true? And encourage them to change the syntax to be more moderate. You know, I often fail at things I try. Okay, maybe. Um, but hopefully we would get even more positive than that. Magnification and uh, catastrophizing. Expecting the worst thing to happen or when something happens, making it a far bigger issue than it really has to be. Uh, going back again to facts. Amazing how a lot of these thinking errors, if you look at the facts instead of using emotional reasoning, um, it, it can negate 
a lot of the stress associated with it. Personalizing is a little bit different. Uh, when you take things personally, if somebody is walking down the street and scowls at you and you assume that they must hate you or you must have done something to offend them, what are some alternate explanations? You know, AE stands for alternate explanations for why that might have happened that had nothing to do with you. Too often, a lot of our clients carry the weight on the of the world on their shoulders. Maybe they grew up in an environment where it wasn't safe to expect that anybody else was responsible for anything and it was only safe to take responsibility for everything themselves. There's a lot of reasons we may have grown up personalizing, but it's important to encourage people to, you know, step back and look at the bigger picture. What are some alternate explanations? Overgeneralization. We also want people to find alternate explanations when they say um, every person that meets these characteristics always does this. Well, number one, that's extreme language. Um, but we want to look at and find exceptions um, for to that rule. You know, what are the exceptions to every type? Every person of this type fits this criteria. Jumping to conclusions, we want to look at the facts. Your significant other comes home and they smell like perfume uh, and it's not yours. Okay. Well, you could jump to the conclusion that they're having an affair or you could try to find the facts. Uh, maybe they had to share it, an Uber with somebody who was putting on perfume. You know, there are a lot of different possibilities for how that may have happened. Blaming, you know, we want to encourage people to take responsibility for the aspects of a situation that they are responsible for and not try to blame everybody else. One of the aspects that is so important to enhance mental health and prevent relapse is to take encourage clients to take responsibility for their own feelings. When somebody does something, it can trigger anger or anxiety. It can trigger fight or flee. It can trigger depression. Those are normal reactions to situations. But what you do with that emotion, what you do from there, from that point on is, you know, up to the person. So recognizing, uh, recognizing that fact. So if somebody feels angry and stays angry and says, you know, it's this person's fault that I'm unhappy all of the time. Well, that person may be doing something to trigger anger and anxiety, but what are you doing to improve your next moment? With shoulds, we want to help them look at the syntax and with emotional reasoning, again, find the facts. If somebody says that they are terrified to fly on a plane because flying on a plane is the most dangerous thing ever, well, let's look at the facts about that and see if that's actually accurate. We can engage people in creativity and problem-solving exercises. One of the reasons that we often get frustrated um, in recovery and we can feel powerless sometimes is because we are trying to do the same thing. We're stuck in the box. And uh, I talked the other day in one of my live shows about finding the third door. The way we usually do it is going through the front door. You know, you're trying to get into a, a nightclub and, and the bouncer is standing there, won't let you in the front door. Well, do you keep trying to go through the front door and expect different results? Probably not. So you go around to the back door. That's the next logical step. Well, maybe they've got bouncers back there too. So again, do you keep trying to bounce back and forth between the front and back door, hoping to get in? 
you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense because you're probably not going to get in. So creativity and problem solving would say, hmm, how else might I be, be able to get into that nightclub? Not encouraging people to do this because it would be breaking the law, but it's a good uh, example just to illustrate what we're talking about. And, you know, so there may be a third door somewhere, or maybe there is a bathroom window that you can crawl in. How else could you solve this problem of getting into this nightclub when the most obvious ways to do it aren't seeming to work? Going back to Covey and the seven habits, begin with the end in mind and create mastery experiences. Help people learn to set goals, beginning with the end, their rich and meaningful life in recovery. What does that look like? And then how do I get there? Remembering that mastery experiences are what some people call micro goals, things that you can accomplish in a day. Or at the, at the outside, a week. So at the end of a very short period of time, you know you've ta- taken one baby step forward because, you know, 365 baby steps is a whole lot of distance to cover. Be proactive. And this is one of the things I, I harp on a lot of stuff with my clients, but being proactive is really important. Don't wait until you're run down. Don't wait until you're depressed. Don't wait until there's a problem. Be proactive. And that's kind of what this whole presentation is about at enhancing your mental health and your physical health. So you don't end up developing a problem that you've got to mitigate. See if you can prevent it from the, from the outset. What can you do to prevent something? Um, my stepfather has some trauma and grief experiences that surround uh, Christmas. Well, you could wait or he could wait until that time when he starts feeling really depressed and, you know, having flashbacks and becoming more symptomatic. Or he could be proactive and say, all right, you know. These same holidays come up every single year. What can I do this year to make it the best year possible to mitigate any problem? We can encourage people to practice taking perspective and radical acceptance. Um, Every time they have an unpleasant thought, encourage them to counter it with a thought that helps them feel safe, loved, and empowered. Remind themselves to say something like, it is what it is. How can I accept reality and improve? the next moment. Environmentally, it's hard to relax and feel happy if we're always on edge. So making sure that people feel safe in their environments. Feng Shui has a lot of great ideas, uh, but just use practical steps to help yourself feel safer in your environment so you can relax. Put first things first. That way you don't feel overwhelmed and overburdened all the time. This is part of time management, but Time management doesn't fit nicely anywhere. Focus on smells. What aromas or essential oils, aromatherapy, can you put in your environment to enhance it, to make your environment more relaxing, more pleasing? Remember, certain essential oils actually promote the release of serotonin and dopamine. Uh, So, you know, by all means, consider using those. What sites? Can you add to your environment to make it more enjoyable? And I encourage you to change your sites every month because we habituate to things. We habituate to pictures and we take them for granted. So if you change them every month, just rotate through a set, um, it makes it more prominent for you. So you notice it more and it makes you smile more often. Memories. 
pictures that bring up memories, pictures of nature, anything in your environment that you think makes it feel more beautiful, using colors that are pleasing to you and relaxing, keeping your site or your area organized and paying attention to design. Some people like the clean lines of modern, uh, other people like, um, you know, more traditional big fluffy sofas and things, whatever makes you feel comfortable. And sounds, nature sounds have been shown to reduce stress, reduce cortisol levels, increase happiness, reduce the need for pain medication in hospitals. Nature sounds can be very relaxing for some, but not for everybody. Silence is golden, they say. So that may be even noise-canceling headphones may be helpful for you. And then for other people, music. And depending on the time and the setting, you know, music can be changed to fit the mood, which is really awesome. Having playlists that help you feel relaxed, having playlists that help you feel happy and energized, you know, they're... Music can do a lot for us. And relationally, nurture and synergize with your significant others to enhance attachment. Make sure your relationships are characterized by consistency, responsiveness, attention. And a lot of times attention can be demonstrated using people's love languages to give it that extra oomph. Validation, encouragement, and support. Remember that's craves is the mnemonic device for healthy attachment. Encourage the development of self self-esteem, problem solving to create win-wins, working on forgiveness as a power play so people are not allowing others to steal their energy, developing and enhancing boundaries and authenticity, and remembering to pay attention to every individual's temperament, your own what makes your environments more pleasing, more relaxing, but also other people's and finding ways to compromise and synergize along the way. Mental health is a biopsychosocial issue. A healthy body, positive emotional experiences, effective thinking strategies, positive environments, and healthy interpersonal relationships are essential. When one of them starts to go wonky, it can have detrimental effects on every other area and set us up for distress, which can set us up for relapse. A weakness. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. That's allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. To sponsor an episode of Counselor Toolbox and reach over 50,000 clinicians per week, go to allceus.com slash sponsor. Thank you.